Philippians chapter 3 and starting from verse 17. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before, and now I tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, who, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. So Paul finishes off saying, this, this is the way that you stand firm. This is the way that you stand firm. At the end of the passage, that's how he leaves it. So I want to talk about imitation. Uh, in our culture, imitation is maybe a slightly negative thing. Uh, uh, imitation is a fake or a copy. It's not authentic. Or imitation is what children do to each other when they really want to annoy each other. And just keep on repeating uh, a statement or something that somebody said. They just keep on repeating it. Uh, to do your children do that? Do your children do that? Yeah, um, and it is rather irritating. But for Paul, this term imitation is a positive idea. It's a positive concept. Over and over again, he invites people to imitate him. I don't know about you, but I can find that a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, but it's something that we can't skirt around. We'll deal with it a wee bit later. But Paul invites people to imitate himself. Are we able to do that? Can we go to others and say, watch me, imitate me, live like I live? Look at a couple other verses where he also does this. In 1 Thessalonians, if you just turn right a few pages, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 6, probably one of the earliest letters that Paul wrote. And talking about the conversion of these people, he says in, in verse 6 of chapter 1, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. And in 1 Corinthians 4, if you go left to 1 Corinthians 4, just to see the same thing here, quite clearly presented. Chapter 4 and verse well, look, look at verse 8 of 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I'll not read the whole passage, but just to sort of set the tone that Paul is coming with. He says in verse 8, Already you have all become, you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have become kings and that without us. He's really sarcastic. In 1 Corinthians 4, verse 8 and following, he is mocking their attitude that they have got everything now and that they are the finished article and there's nothing more in the future for them to look forward to. And he says then down in verse 14, I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you 
as my dear children. Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. He says, you've got lots of instructors. You've got lots of people who want to tell you what to do, but you don't have many fathers, mothers, mentors who will show you what to do. As I think back to my own childhood, I, there's, there's a lot of things that I learned from my dad, but it wasn't from what he said. It was from watching what he did. He never told me that it was important to pray, but I saw him pray a lot, and therefore I learned that it was important to pray. He never told me that it was important to read the Word of God, but I saw him read it, and I learned from what I saw. He never told me that it was important to be devoted to your family, but I saw him exemplify that, and I learned it from watching him. Paul says we need fathers and mothers in the church, people to be imitated. Think about the early years of life. For the first few decades, a couple of decades for most of us, where we are just constantly influenced by parents. And Paul says that's the way it should be in the church. There should be people to imitate. People to learn from by being close to. And he says in verse, after saying in verse 16, I urge you to imitate me. He says in verse 17, I'm sending Timothy. And at the end of the verse, he says, he will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus. And you can read that and say, oh my goodness me, Paul, you're drawing a lot of attention to yourself and how you live. But he is. <laughs> and he's saying, you need to imitate me. I'm trying to imitate Christ and you need to imitate me imitating Christ. So this is a really positive thing for Paul, this idea of imitation of learning from someone and copying what they do. Just pick the right person to learn from. So in Philippians 3, we'll go back there and we will see, first of all, a negative example. I'm going to pick the negative one and get it out of the way and then go to the positive one. The negative example comes in verse 18 and 19. Because Paul in verse 17 says, imitate me. And then he presents people in verse 18 and 19 and basically says, don't imitate them. Don't imitate them. As I've often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Who are the many that he's warning them about? Many live as enemies of the cross. He says in, in verse 18, that he's weeping as he warns them. I don't think this is the pagans that live in Philippi that are opposed to the gospel. I don't think he's going to weep over them. I think this is people who have started out on the road of Christianity and turned away. And we'll talk about that a bit more in a minute or two. But the, the, the emotions that Paul expresses about these people who have become enemies of the cross... I think these are people who once followed Jesus and do not any longer. And he starts off by saying, he says five things about them in verses 18 and 19. He first of all says they live as enemies of the cross. And then at the end of the list, he says their mind is set on earthly things. Now, if you were watching a TV show on Netflix or Disney Plus or whatever, you wouldn't jump in in episode 10. And we're in episode 10 today of Philippians and you will miss, if you haven't sort of tracked the journey, you'll miss stuff. 
Because if you go back in your Bible, look at, look at Philippians 2 and see what the emphasis was in Philippians 2. In verse 5, he says to them, your mindset should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. He addresses how they think. All right? These guys that are enemies of the cross, he says of them, your mind is set on earthly things. Contrast that to chapter 2, verse 5, where he has been emphasizing that you need to have a mind like Jesus. You need to think like him. And these guys as well, Paul says, don't imitate them. They live as enemies of the cross of Christ. In chapter 2, in the middle of the chapter, the whole high point of the letter and the thing that we are to follow the example of is the cross of Christ. So Paul has already presented that and now he says these people are living with their minds only set on earthly things and they are therefore living as enemies of the cross. He says their destiny is destruction. Continue to live a lifestyle like this and it will end in destruction. He then says in verse, or the third thing in the list, he says their God is their stomach. Now, that doesn't mean, if you like a good feed, don't be feeling bad, all right? That does not mean that you cannot enjoy a good feed. Rest easy, gentlemen, who like a good bit of grub. I think what Paul is saying here is that all of their decisions are governed by their appetites. They're governed by selfishness. So these people are no longer following the way of Jesus, but they're now following the way of selfishness. Again, back in chapter 2, he has said to them, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Because it looks like some believers have started to walk with God and then they have been pulled away by their own selfish appetites. And they're now living as enemies of the cross. Paul is against that. He has lifted up Timothy also as an example of that in chapter 2, verse 21. Everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But Timothy will look to your interests. He's not a selfish guy. So this, their God is their stomach, I think is a phrase, just a sort of a catch-all phrase for selfishness. Living just driven by your own desires, your own appetites, what you want yourself. Paul says to live like that is to be an enemy of the cross. And they glory in their shame. The things that they should be ashamed of, they're proud of. Who are these people? These many. Now here, this will probably upset your theology a little bit. But we need to make sure that our theology fits with the scriptures rather than doing somersaults with the scriptures to try and fit into a theological framework that we previously hold. I believe Paul is dealing with people who walked with Christ at one stage and do not anymore. I don't know what the final outcome for them will be, but I think sometimes we do all sorts of somersaults to try and fit into something that we believe theologically about salvation. Every single one of us knows people who have walked with God and are not walking with God. Every one of us. And we have seen them worshiping. We have seen them in the word. We have heard them in prayer. We have seen Jesus work things in their lives and start to bring transformation. We have all seen that. We all know 
people like that. Every one of us. And what we sometimes do is then we, we start to, to do acrobatics and we start to say, well, maybe they weren't really born again. Or maybe that night that we saw them worship with tears streaming down their face, it was all just an emotional hype and it wasn't real. Or maybe that time that we prayed for them and they seemed to really experience transformation, they didn't really experience anything. And maybe as they started a journey of discipleship and devouring the word of God, it was all just a pretense. And we, we do all this, but maybe they walked with God and now they don't walk with God anymore. Maybe that's the simple, plain reality of it. And Paul weeps. I believe if this is describing such people, Paul weeps over them. He warns others not to follow their example. But he weeps. He's broken for those. And I'm not, when I say people who have walked with God and aren't walking with God, I don't mean they just haven't got around to reading their Bible for three or four days. Right? Or that they haven't, they haven't prayed as, as, as fervently as maybe they used to. I don't, I don't mean that. I mean people whose, whose decisions now are governed by their stomach, <laughs> their selfishness, who have, who have turned away from the cross of Christ, turned away from a life of, of laying their own selves down and having the mind that is set on heavenly things and on the things of God, turned away from that and started to make decisions based on selfishness, on appetite. This is what I want. And if, if I can't have it as a follower of Jesus, then I'm going to turn away from Jesus and take what I want. We all know the reality of that. And I just want to put it out there and name it. Sometimes we would love everything to be black and white. We'd love it to just fit in a neat little box. Here's the theology of getting saved. And it's just not as black and white as we would like it to be. I love black and white stuff. I love, you know, I'm, I'm in school, I'm science, I'm not arts, I'm not humanities, I'm science. I like a definition that works. I like a calculation that works. Black and white, clear. I like marking exam papers where there is a right answer and if they have not got that answer, then it's wrong. But it's just not as neat as that when it comes to salvation. What do we do with those who seem to be living like this after previously having walked with God? Weep over them. Pray for them. Reach out to them and love them. Don't imitate them. Don't imitate them. And Paul is grieved because the behavior of these people can bring, I believe, bring shame on the gospel. When somebody says, I'm a Christian, and yet they are following the their appetites and their selfishness, it brings shame on the gospel because it just causes tremendous confusion and, and creates opportunities for criticism and for people to be labeled as, as hypocrites. Do not imitate them, but do imitate Paul and do imitate mothers and fathers in the church, and do aspire to be a mother and father in the church. Paul says to switch from the negative to the positive, going back to verse 17, join together and follow my example, just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So Paul is saying when somebody comes into town who lives the way I live, who follows Jesus the way I follow, keep an eye on that person in a positive context, not in the negative context. When you see someone who's following Jesus the way I do, Paul says, keep, watch them, watch their life, imitate them, hang around with them, learn from them. And we come to a passage like this, I don't know about you, but we, we tend to want to get around this quite quickly. 
Um, we, whenever we're with a young Christian, we maybe want to say, here, here's this book. <laughs> you know, there you go. There's a book for you, all the best. <laughs> you know, churches on Sunday, 11 o'clock, here's a book. Uh, and we want to just fob it all off to them. And Paul says, no. What Paul presents in the New Testament is a life worth imitating and an invitation to come and to imitate people. And the reason we maybe don't want to invite people to imitate us is because we're painfully aware of our own weaknesses. Anybody got weaknesses? Anybody mess up from time to time? Anybody do stuff that they're not proud of? Um, And then present the highlights reel. Church can be like match of the day, you know? Have you ever watched watched a match? Sorry, ladies, but (laughs) you're not going to get this, obviously, like, because you're not, apart from one, because you're not interested in football. Um, but one will get it. Yes, you'll get it. God bless you. Um, you watch 90 minutes and you think that was the most boring, awful thing I've ever watched in my life. Ladies agree with that bit. But then you see the six-minute highlight reel and match of the day and you think, goodness me, that must have been an incredible match. Because you, know? you just see the best bits. But that's what we do in church. We, we, we do match of the day on a Sunday morning. We're going to show you our best highlights we're not going to show you the full 90 minutes of the week. We'll just show you the bits that we're proud of, the bits that were exciting and good. But the, the, the very reality of, of acknowledging we are weak and we do mess up, but come and, come and watch how we recover from the times that we mess up. Come and watch how we seek forgiveness for the things that we do wrong. Come and watch how we forgive others who wrong us. Come into all of the, the brokenness and the pain and the failure and just see how we live through it and how we walk with Jesus through it in weakness. That's the point of it. Paul says again in, in Thessalonians, a lovely verse. It shows, you know, sometimes you can read the New Testament or you can read a book about Paul or whatever and you think, ah, oh, this guy just bounced from place to place. You know, Project Paul, plant a church, head off, plant a church, head off. Paul loved the people that were in his churches. He loved them deeply. And he says in 1 Thessalonians 2, we delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our lives. We didn't just come with a nice outfit and preach a nice polished message and then clear off and leave you with a book. We shared our lives with you. We pulled you in close. And there has to be a real, I think, a real mind shift change in the church. If the church is going to grow and we are going to see discipleship happening, everybody, it's not a case of everybody gets to play. Everybody has to play. Everybody has to play. Everybody has to get involved because not one person or two or three people do not have the life capacity to invite lots of people in to share their lives. Everybody has to do it. Everybody has to do it. And the example that Paul calls people to follow in verse 17, when he says, imitate me, follow my example, it's the example of the previous chapter, which you might have to catch up with from last week or the week before. One thing, soul focus on Jesus. That's the example to follow. Even when I mess up, I focus on Jesus and I focus on, on trying to do something about the mess that would honor Jesus. Even when somebody uh, 
hurts me, I try to respond in a way that Jesus would respond. No matter what we do, we're trying to follow Jesus. He is the one thing. He is the focus. We're not claiming perfection. We're trying to imitate him. We're trying to imitate him. Is your life worth imitating? I got really rattled one night by a thing that a guy said to me sitting in a, in a hotel in Belfast. The guy was Alan McWilliam, and he is the director of Forge in Europe. He was the leader of Forge in Scotland whenever I did the course. He's helping us out, getting Forge Ireland established. And he's, a, he's, he's gold. He's just gold. Love him. And I was chatting to him. I can't even remember when it was. It might have been, I don't know. It was probably late 2018 or 2019 early 2019, I'm not sure, but I was chatting to him in this hotel. Alan Hirsch was there as well, and the guy that leads Forge in England and Wales was there. And I was probably on the ragged edge, on the hairy edge, as some would say, of burnout. Uh, very, very tired, very discouraged. And, and this guy, Alan, really challenged me because he said to me, do you have a life that will cause the young man that you lead to say, I want to do what he does? Or do you live in a way, here's the two options. One, you live in a way that people appreciate you, but under their breath they say, I'm never going to do what you do. (laughs) I love you, I'm glad you do what you do, I appreciate all you do, but I never want to do what you do. Or you live in a way that causes others to look and say, I want to do that. I want to do that. And he really really rattled me about exhaustion, burnout, stretching beyond capacity, living in a way that would cause other people to look and say, thanks very much, appreciate you, but I'm not doing that ever. (laughs) I want people here to plant churches. And they're not going to plant churches if planting a church has absolutely destroyed me. (laughs) <laughs> they're going to say thanks, but no, nah, not doing it. Do we live a life that's worth imitating? It's a challenge. <laughs> Do we live in a way that you could say to somebody, even aware of your weaknesses, but in general, you could still say, listen, come and watch me. You want to know how to, how to read and how to enjoy the scriptures? Come and read them with me. You want to know how to pray? Come and listen to me pray. Do we have a life worth imitating? Do you want to know how to actually just rest and have some fun and have a good feed and a night's banter? Come and, come and join with me in doing it. Do we have lives that are worth imitating? I don't, I don't know if any of you have had those horrific parenting moments when you rebuke a child and the child just says, but you do that. <laughs> yeah? And you realize you're being imitated <laughs> negatively. <laughs> yeah, it keeps you on your toes. That's it. (laughs) Amen. Preach it. (laughs) Paul finishes chapter 3 by saying that we are citizens of heaven. Now this is such an important concept and I'm going to recap it. We did it months ago when we started. We were in chapter 1, 127 mentions this. Philippi was in Greece. Rome was in Italy, as it still is. All right. Philippi was a Roman colony in Greece. The people that lived there were Roman citizens, wore Roman clothes, 
lived in Roman architecture type buildings, used Roman coins, followed Roman laws, drove Roman cars, or everything was Roman in Philippi. If you were blindfolded and taken to Philippi, and then the blindfold was taken off and you were asked, where do you think you are? You would take a look around you and you would say, I'm in Rome. Because everything looked like Rome. And they were citizens of Rome, living Roman life and Roman culture in a different place. And when Paul says we are citizens of heaven, please do not understand him to be saying we're all just sitting in the departure lounge waiting for life to end so we can go to heaven. A random quote from a film that has just come to mind where two old guys are sitting on a, on a picnic bench and one says to the other one, how's life? And the response is, it's taken forever. <laughs> just sitting around waiting to die. And some of us have that attitude about heaven. I'm in the departure lounge. I've got my passport. I'm a citizen of heaven and I'm going home. And that's not the point that Paul is making here. The point that he's making is we are meant to show people what heaven looks like. Just like those who lived in Philippi were meant to show what Rome looked like. He's pulling that on that illustration and saying we're citizens of heaven. While we live here, we show the world around us what heavenly culture is like. How are we doing? That's the point of the illustration. Not just simply where we're, we're sitting around waiting to go home. We are where we are and we're to show what heavenly culture looks like. And while we're here, we are hope dealers. Paul says in, in verse 20, we eagerly await a savior. Coming to a close here, this is something that I think is in danger of dropping out of our faith altogether. The future. We are awaiting a Savior. And notice what's happening with this Savior. He is coming from heaven. (laughs) It doesn't say he's going to grab us all and we're all going to disappear. It says we're waiting for a Savior coming from heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ. Those are words that that would have rang true in Philippi where you went to every public event and at the start of the event you declared that Caesar was Savior and Caesar was Lord. And Paul just spits in their eye with this and he says, no, we're waiting for a Savior from heaven. But surely he's already come and he's already saved us. Yes, he has. We're awaiting his glorious appearing, his return, the future hope of the church we don't talk about enough because one of the things that has happened in society from the fact that people have pushed God out of society you take God out of society you leave people with no future everything is what's right here and right now and that's why how we look becomes so important to us that's why cosmetic surgery and and all associated things is a huge global business. It's because we deny the reality of the future. God has been pushed out of society and people have no hope beyond today. And so we are hope dealers. And what the world needs, I believe, now, as we move hopefully towards what we could call post-COVID, we need hope. People have no hope. They have no notion of a future that is glorious 
how much of the depression that exists in society as a whole comes from the fact that people have no hope. They have no future hope. Paul writes to Ephesians and he says about people being without God. And along with that, he says they are without hope. Once you take God out of society, you take hope out of society. And then you have all sorts of difficult things. And Paul says this is how we stand firm. Sorry, I've just lost the presentation. But anyway, this is how we stand firm. You stand firm by imitating mothers and fathers in the church. You stand firm by having a hope in the future that you look to. Jesus is going to return. That is our hope. The ins and outs and the nuts and bolts of that, the church has argued about and wasted their time arguing about for way, way too long. The reality is he is going to return. We have a hope. And that part of that will be that our lowly bodies will be transformed until they're like his glorious body. What does that even look like? I don't know. All we know is that Jesus ate fish and walked through walls after the resurrection. We will have a body that is fit for the future existence that we will have. We will know each other. We don't know what it will be like, but we have a hope. And everyone who is outside of the church does not have that hope. And therefore, we need to bring it to them. And have you a life worth imitating? Can you go to people and say, look at me? There's no arrogance in that at all. Paul did it. Timothy did it. We are encouraged to do it. Sit with people and say, listen, just look at me. Let me share my life with you rather than just giving you a book and wishing you all the best. Let's pray and we'll sing.